Welcome to FinSight, Global Financial Institutions Industry Podcast. My name is Pete Chapman. I'm a Senior Associate in Baker McKenzie's Compliance and Investigations and Dispute Resolutions teams based in London. And within those teams, I focus on regulatory enforcement matters, predominantly within the financial services industry. In this episode, part of the ongoing Sovereign series, Worlds in Motion, we take a look at compliance in a changing landscape, specifically in the context of sovereign wealth funds. We'll take a look at a few investment trends within the sovereign wealth world, examine how, as investment trends shift, due diligence into those investments must also shift, otherwise pitfalls can easily emerge. Joining me today is Lee C. Shorden, an associate in Baker McKenzie's dispute resolution practice, also in London. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Pete. Thanks very much. To kick us off, why don't we start by talking about how sovereign wealth funds have changed in recent years and what their new focuses are? Absolutely. And, and that's really at the core of this podcast. It stems from a trend that we're seeing in, so, in the sovereign wealth landscape, that of diversification of investment. Indeed, we recently ran a survey in partnership with the International Forum of Sovereign Wealth Funds, where 66% of respondents said that they have significantly diversified their investment approach within the last three years. So what is it that funds are doing? Well, we're seeing a number of sovereign wealth funds move away from the more traditional investment routes, such as public debt, which have recently not matched historic performance. And at the same time, intermingled with this departure from the old, we're seeing new aims and priorities emerging, namely ESG investments, domestic investments, and ever-increasing direct investment. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think ESG is definitely one of the areas in which sovereign wealth funds are focusing most. And this is something we're seeing in all different areas in commercial transactions and in private equity transactions. And sovereign wealth funds are no different. While some might be slower to take interest in this market, several have now adopted the industry with vigour. And actually, the International Forum of Sovereign Wealth Funds and the One Plan Sovereign Wealth Funds Group conducted a survey in which they found 70% of sovereign wealth funds are now incorporating ESG considerations into the investment process. This trend has been particularly noticeable in the renewable energy sphere and also at its extreme. Experienced sovereign wealth funds such as Singapore's GIC and the Norwegian Future Generations Fund are actually using ESG measures for all of their investments. And on the domestic front, we're seeing quite a few governments and indeed sovereign wealth funds themselves taking more and more opportunities to support their local economies or indeed encouraging international private investment themselves. This trend has been intensified in response to COVID and the general interest that we're seeing in numerous jurisdictions to to build back better. Some of the most common markets attracting sovereign wealth interest are therefore infrastructure, energy, construction, digital healthcare, often industries that really weren't on the, the sovereign wealth fund radar just a few years ago. And alongside investment in these new markets, investment is becoming often more direct and funds moving away from the traditional passive to a more active role. This trend is particularly apparent for some of the newer sovereign wealth funds who are benefiting from access to markets through direct co-investment that perhaps were not open to them previously. And a trend that we're particularly seeing in the tech startup space. Public information is also corroborating this with direct investment on a trend of doubling year on year. And of course, alongside playing a bigger role comes greater exposure and potential publicity. 
Yes. So sovereign wealth funds are investing in new industries, new regions, in new ways, and perhaps with new priorities. So the next question is, what consequences are they facing? And these might be new risks, new regulations, or new pressures that they're coming under from consumers and stakeholders. And in addition to this, they might not be able to rely on their status in order to avoid scrutiny in the same way they have done before. The key to getting ahead of these risks is to understand them from the very beginning of an investment. The right compliance due diligence must be at the heart of every investment, but more so if that investment differs from the Sovereign Wealth Fund's historic portfolio, if it's in a new industry or a new region. Diversification provides a plethora of potential investment advantages, but it should also trigger a review of due diligence practices. I think, Pete, you've had first-hand experience of this. Yes, yes. We've we've seen a few instances in the firm, and rather unfortunate ones, um, these issues are arising. Even where a sovereign wealth fund is dealing with a well-respected counterparty, a highly regarded multinational, issues can arise that perhaps a, a different approach to due diligence may have been beneficial. We recently acted for a sovereign wealth fund that had entered into a direct co-investment vehicle with a large multinational. Once the project was underway, funds were committed and, and transferred. It was discovered that unknown to our client, the investment partner had in fact secured the business opportunity at the heart of this whole operation via a bribe paid by one of its subsidiaries to a government official. And that bribe was ultimately discovered, it was published, and that's how our client found out about it. And in turn, it's led to the entire loss of our client's investment. Wow, I think that really shows why due diligence is important in this area, more so now than ever. We'll come on to talk about the specific types of due diligence. But I think as a general point, it's important that sovereign wealth funds understand that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. There are a few general things to consider first and foremost, and you can't apply the same due diligence process for an investment, for example, in healthcare, as you do for your previous investment in technology. You need to ask new questions and look into sort of different areas that might cause concerns. I think it's also appropriate for sovereign wealth funds to dig further into the due diligence process than they have done before. For example, looking further down the supply chain, There might be an investment that looks attractive at a surface level, but they should be asking themselves, what else might be going on here? You know, it might be a technology investment, but there might be conflict materials in the hardware or a retail investment. And actually, the labor further down the supply chain is happening in a jurisdiction with less stringent regulation and with increased pressure from consumers and stakeholders, which we'll come on to talk about these things will no longer be tolerated and actually could pose a real risk to the whole investment of the sovereign wealth fund. So let's dig down into, into some of these headline risks to be aware of. And, and a really good starting point and that Lucy's already hinted at are geographic and sector risks. Each industry has its own risks and any of these can undermine an investment. But, but to take a few examples, technology that we've, we've touched upon a few times is the growing interest of sovereign wealth funds. And a relatively apparent risk here is personal data. There aren't many technology companies that don't handle personal data. They must therefore have adequate procedures to do so. Perhaps a less obvious risk, but one we have seen emerge, relates to technology hardware itself. Much of the technology industry's hardware relies on rare earth minerals, many of them sourced from conflict areas. If an investment target relies on buying these minerals, the question is, 
How is it ensuring that it is buying from reputable sources? Similarly with retail, there's increasing scrutiny over recent years tied to supply chain issues, such as modern slavery and child labor. And with infrastructure and energy, a key component of that Build Back Better program that we described. These are sectors with strong historic ties to corruption and money laundering risks, risks that really should be at the front of mind with any investment. And as the point is really made out in our survey, we found that every single respondent conducted due diligence before entering into any form of direct investment. However, a third did not adjust their due diligence approach in line with any geographic sector risks. They applied the exact same process regardless of where their investment going, where the money went, and what activities were being undertaken. And what we'd always recommend is that there's a careful review of any investment target governance framework and its risk management systems. Thanks, Pete. And what about the use of agents? I know lots of different uh, sovereign wealth funds and companies like to use agents when moving into a new geographic uh, area. That's right. I mean, Agents, intermediaries, even asset managers, anyone working on behalf of a, a fund is going to be a source of risk. But you're right to tie this point and agents in particular to, to sector and industry risk. It, a common source of agent risk is where the investor diversifies into a new sector and almost inevitably increases their reliance on third parties, leaning on local expertise, be it in commercial contacts, navigating the regulatory framework, or, or something as simple as the physical operations in a geography, you know, having people on the ground. And the key here is what are these agents doing in your name or your investment target's name? Jur jurisdictions such as the UK extend some forms of criminal liability to the actions of your agents. So for example, if a local agent is found to have paid a, a bribe to someone, perhaps to speed along some application or some licensing, liability can pass up to the target company. And theoretically, it could even pass all the way up to the investor in certain circumstances. And, and of course, even if criminal liability doesn't attach to any actions, people working on your behalf, perhaps even under your name, can lead to reputational risk as greater and greater scrutiny comes alongside investment. I think that's something you've seen, isn't it, Lucy? Yeah, I think thinking about litigation and reputational risk should always be at the forefront of sovereign wealth funds investments, As particularly when investing in new markets and in new jurisdictions. Sovereign wealth funds often have a greater exposure to their stakeholders. In situations where they're moving to be a more active investor or to, to make direct investments, they have increased exposure to potential losses driven by public scrutiny of the investment that they're making. This may lead to direct criticism of the fund itself, impacting other investments, as well as opportunities to, to find co-financing opportunities, as well as issues to do with their reputation. I think we can all agree that the public perception of sovereign wealth funds is very important and that the consumers and the general public are becoming more activist in their review of investments. We've also seen in the news lately criticism of sovereign wealth funds who've invested in firms that manufacture and supply building materials, uh, which might be deemed dangerous, even when these sovereign wealth funds have said that they are going to focus on ESG compliant investments. It shows that they're not immune to scrutiny. And as consumers become more activist, 
this can impact the success of the sovereign wealth fund from both a financial and a reputation perspective. And also, above this, are the litigation risks. It's not just the reputational damage that we need to be worried about. For example, under English law, a parent company, including an investment special purpose vehicle, may be found liable for the actions of the target subsidiary. This exposure, piercing the corporate veil from subsidiary to parent, may lead to exposures exceeding investment in the target and encroach upon the assets of the parent itself. Litigation risks are on the rise, with shareholder activism already discussed and the ever-increasing regulatory landscape. Where you see regulatory action, in its shadow will likely be the shareholders becoming more activist. And I think this increased regulation is something that's also important to consider. And above these market risks, the the civil litigation risk and the potential criminal risks that we've already seen, on top of all of that, we have the regulatory risk on on the top down facing each of these investments. Really, the the regulatory landscape we're seeing evolve at a a fantastic rate, and that's on on a global scale. Focus areas such as supply chains, healthcare regulation, and and cyber are all constantly changing. Um, And with no jurisdiction mirroring the other, it can be very difficult to navigate. What we're certainly seeing is increased cooperation between regulators themselves. It's evident in a number of recent enforcement actions in the US and EMEA, They're clearly talking to one another and sharing data. And an investigation by one more often than not means an investigation by several, either simultaneously or one after another. And sovereign wealth funds themselves are becoming bigger targets. As they move from passive to active, they increase their portfolio diversity, touching on more sectors and industries. And for the reasons that Lucy's already discussed, attracting greater public and journalistic scrutiny. They will also attract regulatory attention. And so at the same time that sovereign wealth funds are ensuring their own compliance, their own best practices, it's key that they perform adequate due diligence on their target investments to make sure that absolutely the same is true down the investment chain and that there won't be any nasty surprises down the road. Thanks, Pete. I think what's clear is that these challenges are going to require more action on the part of the sovereign wealth fund. They can't sit back and expect there to be no consequences and that everything will just run smoothly. If they're going to be more active as investors, they're going to have to be more active in facing the challenges. So what will be the main questions for them moving forward? They'll need to consider how they navigate increased and changing regulatory requirements, how they weigh up governance and transparency against commercial considerations, and what they need to do to keep a positive reputation, as public perception can definitely influence the investments. Sovereign wealth funds need to tailor their due diligence for each investment, for each transaction and for each partner that they're working with in order to make sure they minimise the risks at the start. And while this might seem like an unnecessary and expensive thing to do, not doing so will certainly be costlier in the long run. So in terms of what the main questions sovereign wealth funds need to ask themselves moving forward, they definitely need to think about how to navigate the increased and changing regulatory requirements. What else do you think they need to consider, Pete? I don't think there's an easy answer, Lucy. As we said before, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to this question. It's, it's the question that's faced you know, every investment since the dawn of time. It's marrying up and finding the right balance between commercial considerations and the right governance and transparency. As we've said, 
without adequate due diligence, there is always a risk. An investment can be lost. And indeed, losses can be greater than the investment. Yes, I think that's right. And considering the transparency against the commercial considerations will also help the Sovereign Wealth Fund with their own reputation. As we mentioned earlier, the public's becoming more activist in this area, more critical of investments that don't meet certain targets, be they ESG or otherwise. Yeah, no, I I quite agree, Lucy. With that, we will wrap up this podcast. Thank you very much to our listeners for joining us today. If you found this podcast helpful, you'd be interested to know that Bacon McKenzie has developed a suite of resources in the Sovereign series, World in Motion, where we map the post-pandemic environment for sovereigns globally. Our latest instalment, focused on compliance, governance and anti-corruption, is now available at bacomckenzie.com. My name is Pete Chapman. I'd like to thank you for listening today. On behalf of Lucy and myself, I hope you join us for the next episode of FinSight.